0: A little confused up here for a moment, because you realize Pat's not here, so we don't need the screens on, and <laughs> we can leave those off. Keep them in your prayer. We're going to Galatians chapter 4 tonight, uh, picking up with figures of speech. It is great to see each of you here this evening. Let's go to God in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, we praise your holy and divine name. We thank you so, so very much for this day, for allowing us to live, to move, and to have our very being. We just ask, Lord God, that you would just guide us into all truth and help us as we read your word to gain an understanding and to grow in our faith and our commitment to you. Bless us, Lord God, that we might increase our desire to know more about you and to learn your word. Thank you for all that you've done and for all that you do. Thank you for your darling son. In Jesus' name, we pray. Be thy will and thank thee. Amen. Galatians chapter four. So we start out. We go all the way back to the beginning, um, Genesis. When you know it's we call it the book of beginnings, right? And that's exactly what it is—the book of beginnings. And I, I just as you read the Bible, the foundation, almost every foundational stone, if you will, that you're looking for is going to be in Genesis for the whole Bible. I mean, it's all in there. It's just, it's so packed with things that we need to know about Jesus and salvation and all, just everything's in there. And you have to just go back there and unpack the book of Genesis. Uh, if you really take time to dig in the book of Genesis, you'll find that uh, it's an incredible study uh, study, and it it will take you an awful long time because it has so much uh, of the New Testament within it because it is the foundation, right? It is the book of beginnings. Everything. When you think about Abraham, Abraham is where we are now. He's speaking of this allegory of the two women, uh, Hagar and Sarai. We go all the way back and we think about Abraham, uh, you know, the first one to, uh, if you will, to serve God in a, in a monotheistic way. He's the only one. He and his family, God said, leave your father and your mother's house, go to a place that I will show you prior to Abraham serving God in Genesis 12 his family in Genesis 11 they they worship idol gods right uh, and then you go back to you know chapter 10 the tower of babel you just go you go you just follow this this uh train that God has given us this stream this thread that runs from Genesis to Revelation and it's powerful so we 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 think about Genesis we think about Jesus Abraham was promised a son and that son would 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 bring forth if you will through this this gift, this promise, this blessing would come the law of Moses and would also come uh, salvation. And what an, what an amazing uh, thought. And what happened with, with Abraham and, um, and Sarah? Remember when when God spoke to Abraham, uh, He said to him, um, you and your wife are going to have a, have a son. And they were up there in age, way, way, way beyond childbearing age. And uh, Abraham did what so many others have done uh in times of history we try to fix things for god it's easier that way right <laughs> we want to fix it god always needs our help right we're going to fix it for him and and what happens when we try to fix it It kind of mess it up right so the the whole mess that we're seeing we're witnessing today that's been witnessed from from the book of genesis on uh, over there with the uh the, the arabs um would, would not even be the way it is, maybe, um, had it not been for the Ishmaelites. So Ishmael brought forth dukes, right, very powerful men. They were a very powerful nation. There was always this battle over land and all the issues that were going on. Um, Abraham tried to fix things for God. How did Ishmael come about? Um, God tells Abram, you're going to have a child. Abram responds to God, okay, you um, have a child. And he tells Sarah, you know, the whole account there. And then they come up with this great idea. Maybe what God meant—you ever heard someone say that before? <laughs> maybe what God means to is maybe what God meant was this: you're you're to take my handmaid Hagar, yeah, yeah, and then you bear children, will bear children through her, and this is probably what God meant. That was a lack of faith, wasn't it? Right? You know, the, so the man of faith wasn't always faithful, was he? You know. The woman of faith wasn't always faithful. What I love about the heroes of faith uh, in Genesis chapter—I mean, excuse me, Hebrews chapter eleven—is they weren't always faithful, right? In fact, when you read their account and you read their the life that God gives us in the Old Testament, there really may be one or two events that they participated in, and that's where God called that event that was faithful. It wasn't like their whole life, which is interesting, right? Which gives us hope. Pretty amazing, I, I thought. Well, Abram. Um, and Sarah come up with this idea, and of course Hagar gives birth to Ishmael, and uh, and then who wouldn't have thought about this one? Ah, eh, Sarah and Hagar don't get along too well, right? <laughs> duh, <laughs> he kind of figured that one out. Um, and so as a result, uh, Ishmael is uh, expelled. Abram loves Abram loves his son Ishmael. Uh, in fact, he he pleads to God and said, "Oh, the Ishmael." be the, you know, the one in whom you're going to bring all these blessings through. But the reason that could not happen was because Ishmael was born of natural birth, okay? Now, Isaac was born of natural birth as well, but the difference is Isaac was born through a promise, okay? That's the difference. So now we have this allegory, this allegorical um, statement here, the bond woman and free, Genesis, uh, excuse me, Galatians chapter 4 in verse 21, and it says, Tell me, you who want to be under law, do you not listen to the law? So now he's right here, this, this reprimand to the church of Galatia and the Jews there. And he's saying, you know, you have always had a problem keeping the law. Why are you trying to go back to it when you've been freed from the law? Right? That's where he's, that's where he's going in this, in this text. You get to chapter 5, and he talks about freedom in Christ as opposed to the bondage of the Old Testament law. And he says, why are you trying to go back to do the things that you, you couldn't do, the things that you, you uh, failed at miserably? And under the law, grace and truth wasn't, well, truth, but grace wasn't realized, right? Grace is realized through Jesus Christ. So why do you want to go back to the old law where you have to keep the law perfectly uh, when you have this beautiful blessed gift of Jesus when you, get, when you receive grace? Now, we know that the big picture is grace was given to them but not until Jesus or without Jesus, right? It wasn't without Jesus Christ. They offered animal sacrifices, and it basically rolled their sins forward a year. They did it every year, every year, just continually doing this every single year. It never removed their sins. The blood of bulls and goats cannot remove sin. In fact, it's impossible. But they understood through sacrifice that that was a... A point that God was making about how your sins will be ultimately removed forever. So, why are you going back to that law? Verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. So again, Hagar and Sarah, 23. But the son of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son of the free woman through the promise. So, here's the connection, Right? The connection is, when you think about it, you go back to this text. Freedom versus bondage, you choose. Right? And so we study with people who are uh, adamant about keeping the Old Testament law. That's that's how you start your study. We have two choices. Freedom or bondage. You choose. Right? Uh, And then... You know, there's so many other scriptures you can take them through. The old law does what? Second Corinthians chapter 3 says the old law kills, right? The letter kills, and, and it does. Literally, it has, there's some commandments in there that uh, the consequence of the other sin is death, but it kills because if you if you die without Christ, right, none of us can make it to heaven, right? And so when you choose the old law and you say, we don't want Jesus, now you're standing on your own merits, and when you stand on your own merits because you don't want Jesus, you got trouble on Judgment Day. So uh, we don't want we don't want the the bondage. We want what is free. So Hagar bears a child in bondage, right? Verse twenty four. She was a handmaid. This is uh, allegorically speaking. For these women are two covenants. One proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. So now it's two slaves, right? We're slaves of Christ, and they're slaves of that old law that kills. Right? They're in bondage. And and they're trying to serve God on their own merits. But you you can't find freedom under the law of Moses. In fact, the law of Moses never made anyone perfect. Only the law of Christ. The law of Christ makes perfect. The law of Moses does not. It cannot. It's an absolute impossibility. Remember when Hebrews 8 spoke of the old law, Hebrews 8 tells us that uh, he found fault. There was fault found with the old law. Now, where was the fault found? It wasn't in the law, right? Hebrews 8, verse 6 and 7, I think it is. It was with the people. Because the people couldn't, wouldn't keep the law. They just wouldn't do it. And so here's this law that comes through a natural birth, this, this blessing, rather, this allegorical conversation, a natural birth of Ishmael. There was no big thing, as far as humans are concerned, it's like this genealogical trail. You were born a Jew. You didn't choose to be a Jew. You were born a Jew. Is there any person today who is born a Christian? No. It's a choice. See the freedom? See, you don't, you don't have a choice over here. You are born a Jew. So then you are forced. You have to follow the law. And if not, you're ostracized from your people, et cetera, et cetera. No, as, as humans today, since Jesus, We have a choice because we're free. We're free to say, no, thank you, God. Not a very good choice, but we're free to say, no, thank you, God. Or we're free to become children of God. That's the difference between Sarai, Isaac, and Hagar, and Ishmael, right? The freedom that we enjoy in Christ Jesus our Lord. There are two promises there's the, uh, there's the land promise that God gave to, uh, to Abraham. And then there is the, um, the spiritual promise, right, that God gave to Abraham. But to Ishmael, everything with them is all about land. Just the land. This is it. Right? There's no more after this. Sarai brings forth a, a child of promise. Verse, uh, where are we? Verse 26. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For more are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a husband. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. So freedom and promise. So the new law is given to us as a promise, right? It's not, it's not something that, that uh, God owes us. It's something that God promises us. And God cannot lie, right? He promises us salvation through Christ Jesus if we stay faithful, right? He, it's a promise. It's not something that we, that we earn. It's, it's given to us as a free gift. The spiritual birth of Isaac From Abraham to Isaac brings to us the church. That's how we have the church of Christ. Galatians chapter 3 talks about this. It talks about the blessing of Abraham comes to, through, to and through the church of Christ. This is a spiritual blessing and gift that we have in God himself. That he brought forth or produced the Christ in whom we serve and we live. The blessing is a spiritual blessing, which carries us from from Canaan and the whole land of Jerusalem, that whole land, that whole uh, peninsula. There's a land promise. But that's it. But with Christ, we go through that land right into heaven. That's the joy of being a child of God, that we freely chose the gift of God and we are passing through this land to our next home. And that's what God and serving God is really all about, right? In verse 29, verse 29. But as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so it is now also. So this persecution comes, right? Ishmael persecuted Isaac. You go back and read Genesis and you read about the persecution. And it continues to this day. That there are people right outside of Christ who persecute people inside of Christ, it's never going to stop, right? Good always has this um, this magnetic effect on people, and good is always persecuted. You know, it just it's just that way. It's going to always be that way until we go home. And when we go home, there's no more evil. Therefore, there's no more persecution, right? So we freely, we are freely choosing uh, the freedoms of serving Christ, the freedom to be free, finally, right? With no more suffering or sorrow or struggling because all the land stuff, the physical stuff is gone and what we have left, when you peel away all the layers of the physical, what you have left is the spirit, right? The spiritual, the soul, and nothing more. And what a beautiful gift, an amazing gift of our God. So this is what happens to evil in the end. This is what happens... In the end of all things, verse 30, it says, But what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir uh, with the son of the free woman. We cannot dwell together. It's an impossibility, right? It, it just doesn't. It doesn't work that way, right? There's no connection between good and evil. They, they just don't go together. They're not going to ever go together. So the 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 bondwoman is, is cast out. Now, God in his generosity and his blessings uh through Abraham, God blessed Ishmael and all of his descendants, and uh he prom and blessed Hagar and took care of them, but she was not supposed to intermingle with the people of God. Right? There's a separation uh between the two. And then verse thirty one, so then, brethren, we are not children of bondwomen, but of the free women. So uh this allegory, if you will, is given to us. Uh, to convey the message to give us hope, spiritual hope and satisfaction in Christ and and joy and the blessings and the riches and to help us if someone comes along and tries to, to get us to follow the old law. We know not to because we're going back to bondage. Why would you do that? So you're talking to a Jew. Uh, Galatians chapter 4 is a great place to go uh, along with Hebrews chapter... There's so many places, right? Colossians 2, Hebrews chapter 8 actually chapter 5, Melchizedek predates the law of Moses, and you just go through this whole chain of events that God has given us to help them to understand and to see that there was a purpose for the Old Testament law, but the only purpose was to lead us to Christ, to take us from bondage to freedom. Right? Now, what what if you're not a Jew? You say, well, wait a minute. We're not Jews, so how does it take us from bondage to freedom? From bondage being bound by the world and Satan to the freedom that we have in Christ. Right? So, there's nothing but freedom in, in Jesus. And I want you to think about the word freedom, uh, and you think of liberation, uh, freedom in every, in every way. Uh, the women are free from the bondage of, uh, persecution they were persecuted with, with male chauvinism and things of that sort. And the old law coming up into this day. What an amazing message that Jesus brought to the poor man. How about that? The poor man who has no power now all of a sudden has the same power as the rich man. You know, everything in Christ brings us all on the same level. Um, if you're down here, God brings you up. And if you're up here, God brings you down. Right? We're all in the same place, right? The preacher, the elder, the creator, every one of us, all in the same place in Christ. I just love that, that there's no one above another. And that's the beauty of serving Jesus. So that was that allegory that was given to us. Uh, let's go to Judges chapter 4, please. Uh Chapter 14, actually, excuse me. Look at a riddle, um, another type of language. Again, we're talking about... Uh, figures of speech in uh, in the Bible, and uh, I want to go to Judges chapter fourteen and and give you just quickly a riddle that uh, Samson gave. You've read it before; you know exactly what it is. So he said to them, "Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet." But they could not tell the riddle uh, in three days, and you know the rest of that account. And so God gave us this th- these puzzles in the Scripture to unravel. And the Bible, if you think about it. It does give us puzzles, doesn't it? Think about that for a minute. I mean, you could read Romans 10 and get the whole plan of salvation, right? Romans 10 teaches, hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. Just in chapter 10. People just usually get out of it, um, if you believe in your heart and confess your mouth, then, you know, Jesus is Lord and you'll be saved. And they leave it, they stop right there. They don't dig into Romans 10 to get the message of Romans 10. Romans 10 teaches baptism. It teaches repentance. It teaches confession. It teaches hearing the Word. It teaches uh, uh, being obedient to God. It teaches the whole thing. It doesn't miss any part of it. But as you continue to read the Scriptures, God puts it into puzzles. Like, why wouldn't God just say, here is the plan of salvation? You know, uh, the book of whatever, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. <laughs> here, believe, repent, confess, I'm be baptized. Five. Six. One. Stay faithful. That's what people want. They want that. They say, well, God, if baptism was so important, why wouldn't God just, just put it all in one place? Well, if, if that were the case, then we'd have a, a book of topics, wouldn't we? You know, God will give us all the topics. Okay. Uh, marriage. Topic one. Um, you know, friendship. Topic two. No, God doesn't work. God doesn't write that way. He doesn't work that way. You have to find the pieces to the puzzle and your sincerity, and that's why when you're reading the Bible, if you read the whole thing through, you'll make connections and you'll start connecting the dots, and then it becomes so real to you. And it's amazing what what happens in your transformation. So God uses uh, you know puzzles, if you will, and riddles. Uh, another thing, John chapter twelve, please. God speaks in hyperbolic statements too, you know, in in the in the text. It's like a hyperbole. Um, it's an exaggeration, but it's the way we speak, right? Uh, you know, when you were younger and you were trying to convince your—maybe you don't know this—I'll just tell it myself. Then, <laughs> younger and you want to go to the party, and you say, "But everybody's going to be there, right? <laughs> They're all going to be there, right?" It's a—it's a hyperbolic statement. Obviously, everyone's not going to be there, but you were hoping that would work. John twelve, verse seventeen. And so the multitude who were with him, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, were bearing him witness. For this cause also the multitude went to meet him, because they heard that he had performed this sign. The Pharisees therefore said to one another, You see that you are doing, you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. Well, we're witnesses that the world hasn't gone after him. Not the whole world. But the idea to them was, you know, there are more people leaving Judaism and going into this, this way of life, and if they, if they all continue in this way, yeah, we're all, Judaism will be gone, and the whole world will become Christian. So, uh, and, and what a beautiful thing that would be. But obviously, not the whole world has gone out to Jesus. Uh, but a multitude, a great multitude came to Jesus, and the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, and the Herodians, uh, and the Essenes, etc. Tried to stop that work. But they could not. Turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. And the verse is uh, 33. Mark 1 verse 33. The Bible is speaking of Jesus and his, his work. And then it says, The whole city had gathered at the door. So think about how many people would, would you know, that would be gathered at one door. The whole city wasn't gathered, but the idea behind it is that there were so many people there that it was like the whole entire city was there, and no one was left without being there. It's a hyperbolic statement, so we'll read that in the scriptures at times. What about the sarcasm in the Bible, or maybe irony, the ironic statements? You know, you think about the cross. You know, the things that Jesus said: "If you live, you'll die. You know, if you die, you'll live." You know, you're going, it doesn't make any sense. If I die, I can't live because I'm dead. And he goes, no, if you die with me, you live forever. And you're trying to figure that whole thing out. Matthew 27, when Jesus came along, can you imagine, we we have the Bible, so we're, we're getting a, we may not always have the same appreciation that, you know, they had in those days. You know, when Jesus walked amongst them, you know, he wasn't like someone that comes to the pulpit and speaks to you. He spoke as one with authority. In other words, you know, he spoke as if, uh, you know, he was God. Oh, wait a minute, he was, wasn't he? You know, and they couldn't figure that out. How was this man talking to us in this way? You know, it's like, it's like, like he wrote this stuff. Well, yeah, he, he did. Uh, and so when Jesus came on the scene, it was really amazing to them to hear the degree and the intensity of the messages that he presented uh, to them. And it was so different. They'd never heard of stuff like that before. The Old Testament law... Um, if you put it into a nutshell, the Old Testament law is a physical law, right? It has physical requirements. The priest goes in, the high priest goes in once a year. The priests go out and they make a sacrifice and they dip their right thumb and their big, they put the blood on the tip of their big toe and on their right earlobe. And you know, going, why is I, you know, I'm so mad. I, I love so I used to really like want just to get through Leviticus. So I'm just gonna tell myself, you know, like I, mean, I got to read it because you know it's part of the Bible. Let's get through Leviticus. Until I started understanding and appreciating what I don't have to do. <laughs> right. I, I read it kind of in a in a negative positive, right? Um, it's it's I'm so thankful. Thank you, God. I'm I'm listening to the Lord. I'm going, okay, so you take this lamb and you okay, without and you start detailing how he looks at the lamb or the sacrifice, and you and and what he has to do every single year. You can't forget it. Think about how long you'd have to research again. Remind yourself every year to do everything exactly correct. Every sacrifice. And what happened when Nadab and Abiathar who said, you know, fire is fire. <laughs> I mean, there was more to the account I know than just that. But no, fire is there's a there's a law that must be followed to a T. And so we, when Jesus came along and he started teaching them these. These, these teachings in Matthew twenty seven, and I want to look at verse twenty nine. They were just amazed at at what happened with uh, with Jesus. And after weaving a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, and a reed within his right hand, and they kneeled down before him and mocked him, saying, "Hail, King of the Jews." What would what would you have done? Right, I mean, we would have made, probably tried to. We'd come back. We we'd ask, you know, you yeah, you watch. You just wait. We would I mean, I don't know, as humans, you know, we don't take too kindly to people abusing us. Uh, but Jesus fulfilled every everything in the scriptures, and you read the whole account of Matthew twenty seven and you look at the crucifixion. how did he do that? Right? How did he how did he do that? How did he do everything perfectly in these particular circumstances? That's doesn't seem right. So so some, some of us, I, I don't know who came up with the, the idea, uh, but it kind of makes sense. Either Jesus was a psychotic lunatic, lunatic, or he was God. And not even a psychotic lunatic could have done what he did after being scourged. And now he's surrounded by the the, the... auditorium and he's in their midst and he just allows them. He has the power to stop it at any moment. But no, he doesn't. Can you imagine the angels, how the father had to suspend them? No. But father, think about the cherubim. You know, those who uphold justice. Father, let's go. Father says, And they beat Jesus. And Jesus, while doing nothing, was doing everything.
1: Isn't that amazing?
0: Think about that. While doing nothing, he was doing everything. Me, I would have at this point been trying to do something. At least get free or something. But then I end up doing nothing. Pretty amazing. Look at another passage. Mark chapter 15, uh, verses 31 and verse uh, 30, 32. The text says, And in the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves, saying, He saved others. He could not save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross that we may see and believe and those who were crucified with him were casting the same insult at him. Now, here's a question. Um, just setting, setting up my next, my next verse. Who needed the saving? See, while on the cross dying, <laughs> he was, it was part of the, he was, he was saving everyone, right? And they said, no, come down and save yourself. And he says, no, I am saving myself. And I'm saving you too, right? That's why i got to stay up here. But a human, not Jesus the human, but someone who's not Jesus the human, might have come down to prove a point. <laughs> and they wouldn't have believed. They were liars from the beginning, right? Look at verse 33. And when the sixth hour had come, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. Now, what what's really happening? It's funny because while there's darkness... In the midst of the darkness is what? The light. Right? Yeah, great. You know, Jesus. So you look at the spiritual connection of everything, right? The world was it finally the whole world, the exposure of this is what it's like without God in your life. Total darkness. Wow. Right? That looked at the light. I wonder if we see that. So there's a lot of uh statements in the in the scriptures that are like, you know, just filled with irony when it comes to The crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Um, Let's let's look at the next Hebrews chapter two. So when we think of um, uh, interrogative statement, you know, question, if you will, uh, in its interrogation, when you're looking at in in the Greek, and it, it it doesn't really demand an answer. It's it's a question that is is presented for effect, right? It's so it's not just a question there's a there's a little difference to it a little more meat to it when you go into the into the hebrew um or the greek rather also but hebrews 2 i mean yeah yeah hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3 listen to the question think about the darkness and the light how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation see it doesn't really need an answer the answer is you will not right and it makes you think well how can we escape well what are you talking about let's go deeper. Let's think about this. How can we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So if we neglect God, how's that going to work out on Judgment Day? Well, what is Judgment Day? And when is it going to come? And you ask all these questions about the judgment, and then I mean, this this question goes really, really deep. We could spend a whole lectureship on that question alone. Just that one right there by itself. Right? How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation after, here's the evidence and the proof of condemnation. After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard it. Now what this does is it cancels out Mark 16. Now not, not 15 and 16, talking about baptism, but the latter part of that where it talks about um, the miracles that were going on. Why were the miracles going on and how long were the miracles supposed to last? Well, you look at the tents. Uh, of the of the passage in the verb in, in Mark, and you'll find whenever it came to miracles, it says God was confirming the word by the miracles or the signs that followed. He was confirming. So if a man came up, you go back to Exodus and follow it through the Old Testament, you'll find that a miracle was there to, uh, to confirm that this man was God's spokesman. How else would you tell? I mean, we're all look alike, we're all right, and then someone comes along and says, hey, this is what the Lord said. And you go, well, how do I know the Lord speaks through you? And then you do this miracle, right? This amazing miracle, this miraculous event happens. And then you go, oh, okay, yeah, yeah that's, that's from God, right? All right, so God was in the first, you know, way, way back when, all the way to the first century, confirming the word by the works or the miracles that follows. Hebrews 2 cancels that out because Hebrews 2 tells us the word is already confirmed. By those who heard. See the tense? Those who were hearing. And then finally we get to Hebrews later in Christian, Christianity. And all that needed to hear and heard. And it's already all confirmed. And here we have it today. Uh, without the needing, needing the use of, of miracles. For it's already confirmed. It's undeniable. So now God has given to us this undeniable book. And and folks can can argue it all they want to. But the words right here will judge us in the last day. It's already confirmed, right? No more miracles, no more chance, second chances, and it's not going to be another error after. The, no, when this, Jesus is telling us, this is it. This is the last chance for humanity to be saved. What will we do with it? And the question is, how will we escape so great a salvation if we deny this or refuse to follow this word of God? So very, very powerful pointed uh, passage of Scripture to direct our minds in the right in the right place, right? Turn, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So a metonym uh, in regards to language is to substitute one word for uh, another word because they're related in some way. Uh, the Lord's Supper is the easiest, I think, in my, in my opinion, at least for me to teach it. Uh, verse 25 of Hebrews chapter 11. In the same way he took the cup also, after supper, saying, "This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, and remember it from me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup of the Lord, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes." And that's why, if no one's ever told the church this, I know they, I know you had to hear from someone. That's why you don't give your kids the communion, right? You don't. I know your child will cry and scream and kick for a piece of bread, or they, as they'll call it, "I want some," "I want a snack." You educate them. You teach them. You don't ever give them the Lord's Supper, ever. You give that to your child, ever, right? And this is a a weekly teachable moment. But we should teach them at home first before they get here. Teach them at home. What is it? What are we doing here? This is this is this right here is the the, the through the eye of faith. It is the body of Jesus Christ. Right? It's the body of Jesus. This shows us every week we make a. Everybody here is a sermon. Everyone here is a preacher. Everyone here preachers Every first day of the week, we preach that Jesus, he died. But he didn't stay dead. Right? And that's a public proclamation. That condemns the whole world, by the way. Those who refuse to come to Christ, that condemns the whole world. And it's eaten it's in haste. Right? Exodus chapter 12. In haste. Meaning, it's, there's no leaven in it because it doesn't have time to rise. Because Jesus is coming back. You teach your children that. And when the Lord's Supper comes around, you don't substitute it either. I mean, you know, you could, I mean, they're not even going to all that, but look, that's, this is important, right? It's extremely important. It is the foundation of our faith. It is the reason we come together. Turn to Acts chapter 15, please. And, and so, uh, a metonym, when we're substituting one word for another, make sure that our, our children understand what that substitution word is, what does it mean? It's not the body of Jesus. And then people get confused because John 6, you know, unless you're eating my flesh and, and you know, you start drinking my blood and you read that and you go see we're eating the real flesh of Jesus and it's not, we, we know it's not where so the word transubstantiation came from because it's like, well what else is it? He said it's his flesh so this cracker becomes the flesh. It is not. Right? But it is his body through the eye of faith and it's a public proclamation that Jesus got up. Right? And we serve him. Acts, Acts chapter 15 and verse, verse 21. For Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him since he is read in the synagogue every Sabbath. So when you read the Old Testament, you're not preaching, you're not reading Moses or preaching Moses, are we? Well, the law of Moses is what it's speaking of, right? The law of Moses. The law of Moses. Let's go to the next one. Um, I kind of like personification. Um, let's see, it, Old Testament, Psalm chapter, um, 114. Psalm 114. I like personification because it's, it's, you know, you're reading the Bible and it, it, it makes statements. It just makes things seem real. Uh, it brings to life something that's not really alive, if you will. An inanimate object of some sort, uh, has human attributes and you're reading the Bible and you're going wow wait a minute that's interesting that God would use that analogy if you will to get his message across to us so when you're reading the Bible and trying to understand it um this may not seem that important this stuff we're, I mean I know you think it's important but when you're studying with people of all walks uh you you get some really weird questions asked and they they only because we they didn't the people reading at that moment, don't really understand what they're reading. And a good example of that is um, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. And he says, you know, you're going to be born again. And the first thing Nicodemus thinks, of, okay, so wait a minute. How am I going to crawl back into my mother's womb and then be born? That doesn't make any sense. They just don't get it, right? And so it happens in our, in our studies. Psalm 114 and verse 3. The sea looked and fled, the Jordan turned back. So imagine, you know, the, the sea having eyes and then, you know, fleeing and then all of a sudden it turns back and takes a look at you and, and then goes back. And that's, you know, we get it, right? Um, personification. The trees clap their hands. Personification, right? Uh, so when you're reading through those things, God is trying to make a really, uh, important and valid point, but, uh, it's, it's, it's giving an inanimate object, uh, some type of Human attributes, if you will, to make it make it make, to make it uh, uh, become more more alive and more, uh, I guess I guess real to us. Uh, Exodus chapter thirty-three. Exodus chapter thir- thirty-three. So anthropomorphism um, is the last one we're going to look at, at least tonight. Anthropomorphism in Exodus thirty-three. We're going to look at verse twenty-two. So again, it's now it's ascribing um, human forms and attributes to God, right? Like you're going to okay. So so what does God look like? We don't know. So God made man in His image. What does that really actually mean? Does that mean that God? No. Now we got issues. Now we have the you know. Uh, is God, you know, today's question, well, is God a woman or is God a man? Well, based on the scripture, um, you know, it always refers to he and a pronoun, uh, as, as, uh, masculine gender, but, but does spirit, God is spirit, and if God is spirit, does spirit have masculine or feminine, gen- no, right? And so I was like, wait, so what, so God is God, right? So we're starting to get all these questions now that can go really, really deep into trying to figure out who God is. So now the world has taken, it to the next level, even though the scriptures make it clear as it teaches us um, when we speak of God, we speak of Him in a masculine uh, gender gender form. Uh, but now they're using anything, right? Which is, you know, really shameful. But let's look at verse um, 32, uh, 22 and 23. And it will come about, God's talking to Moses by the way, He's going to show Himself. And it will come about, while my glory is passing by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So then does he look like us? Or is is being made in the image of God more like, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that is what makes God God and body, soul, spirit is what makes us us. That we triune, he's triune. What does that mean? Now, I don't know the answer. I wouldn't boast to know the answer uh, tonight. But what is it, you know, what does God look like? Well, So we ought to be really careful as to ascribing what God looks like. We know what God reveals himself like in certain times when Jesus has come. Even when all the angels came, all the angels came as males. Uh, when Jesus came, he came as a man. And he was walking on the earth. But meaning, I'm talking about when Jesus came as the angel of the Lord. Uh, not when he came... Um, so that's that's what is that um Malak? Um, when you think of the angel of the Lord, I'm not talking about Jesus the man. Right? Jesus the man was one hundred percent male and one hundred percent God at the same time. I can't explain that either. But the Bible makes it clear that Jesus was one hundred percent man and one hundred percent God. So when he's one hundred percent God, what does he look what does Jesus look like now? and is Jesus is God sitting on a throne and is it and if he is how big is the throne right that's going to be a really big throne because he says the earth is my footstool so if the earth is his footstool that must be a really big throne right so there are heavenly things that are so complex um that you you think of this uh, anthropomorphism, uh, anthropomorphism you think about this word and you realize hmm have i been ascribing? Human attributes to God, maybe wrongfully so. But then again, I don't know, because I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer. But I do know, again, if uh, if heaven is uh, his throne and the earth is his, a footstool of his feet, he's a big God. But he is a big God, isn't he? Because he can hear all of us at the same time. I, I love it. One day I, I realized something that I just never thought about. I should have known it. Um, Someone was praying, and I was like, "Oh, I, I just need to. I need to pray too." And I, and then I started, and I was like, "Wait, oh yeah, God can hear both our prayers at the same time." I was like, "Oh, I forgot about that." <laughs> I kind of I made God really small for just a moment. Um, anyway, thank you for the, for this part of the study. We'll get into something a little bit less complex as we continue on in our studies, and then put it all together. And it's going to be a, a lot of fun, I think. Um, we're gonna have a devotion in a moment. Uh, if you're having a need of prayer, whatever it might be, we like to pray with you or pray for you. Uh, and that's why I say uh, when the elders come forward to pray, we can all pray together, right? Pray for the people who have a need. Uh, if you're online and you're trying to get in touch with us, uh, please do so um, with all the information that's in front of you. Thank you. God bless you.